Okay, y'all, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at uh, verse 1, 3 through 11. Uh, on Friday morning, April 24, 1891, uh, Spurgeon preached to a bunch of pastors. It was at a pastor's conference. Um, these were young pastors, seasoned pastors, veteran pastors, retired pastors. Uh, the sermon that he uh, preached to them was entitled, Honey in the Mouth, and it was taken from Genesis. And this is what he told them in the middle of the sermon. He said, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in the mind there are bottomless pits the flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more. But the soul, the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over and over again in an hour. End quote. So, if you're joining us, we are continuing our series, our mini-series on depression We've looked at Elijah's depression. Today we're going to look at Paul's depression. What we've learned from Elijah is this, and this is the direction that we're going at today. We learned from Elijah something very, very personal and something very, very helpful, that no matter what's going on and no matter the contributors, no matter the reasons of depression, depression in God's eyes, depression in how he wants us to relate to it is always an invitation it's always an invitation to go places with him we've never been before. The question we're going to look at today is what are those places? So if it's an invitation to go places you've never been before with God, never been before possibly in the way you see yourself, the way you see others, the way you see this world, what, what are those places he's taken us to? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if ye are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in, your suffer in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our, on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would grant the realities of this passage. Would you give concrete hope to all of us? Very specific, very real, very personal. 
would there certainly be a greater sense of understanding ourselves and a, a, a deeper encounter with you in the midst of it? We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, y'all, I, I did. A, I called an audible at the line of scrimmage last night, and that's here's the audible. Um, we are going to look at the second half, the, the first half where it talks about comfort and ministry. I think I'm going to save that for the last sermon in the series. At the end, we wrap up. Okay, so how do those who suffer depression, how do you engage in ministry that's really powerful and it's incredible what God calls us to here? And then how do we help those who are struggling with depression? I'm, I'm going to save that for the last. Um, but we are today going to look at, at Paul's depression, okay? All right, so where are those places we need to go? Well, let's start at Paul's depression, verse 8. I'm going to get the apostolic we out of there. It's just kind of confusing. I'm going to insert the singular. Uh, the personal first person. I was so utterly burdened beyond my strength that I despaired of life itself. Indeed, I felt the sentence of death. What Paul is experiencing here is very difficult to put in words. In fact, the actual language that's employed here is restricted. The actual language employed here is stretched beyond what it's comfortable with. In other words, the lexical capabilities of the words that are chosen here are not able to communicate what is being communicated here. What's being communicated is too great. The realities are too overwhelming <laughs> that the word choice can't do it. It's like trying to fill the ocean in a hole that we dig on the beach. It just can't happen. But doggone it, these words do their best. They try. And so these words uh, are failing to do their job, but they do show up for work. They just don't clock in. So here's what we're going to do. Um, they give us three thin threads that we're going to grab three thin threads that we're going to grab and we're going to follow them and they're going to lead us somewhere. They're going to take us where we need to go. So let's look at thread number one. Are you ready? Here's the first thread. Utterly burdened. Love the original language. It's clearer more than the English, but this utterly burdened is absolutely confusing. Utterly burdened means Paul is experiencing something excessive, something overwhelming, Something, something without limits, something without measurements, something without restrictions, something without rules, something that there is no bottom to, something that there is no top to, there's no ceiling, something that is so absolutely overwhelming. The burden here that Paul's experiencing is impossible to bear. The original language tries to communicate some examples. It's like, it's like being crushed, but you're still alive. It's the ultimate suffocation. It's the ultimate claustrophobia. Everything is so oppressive, and it's so weighty, and the burden is so impossible that it sucks the air out of the room, but it just pushes you and pushes you and pushes you and pushes you and you freak out with claustrophobia. There's no room to move. There's no room to just barely catch your breath. Thread number two, beyond my strength. So the first one's communicating what Paul's burden looks like. Now the second thread's communicating what it does in relation to Paul. Okay? 
Paul's experiencing when he says beyond my strength, something that's beyond him, something that's beyond his capabilities, something that's beyond his capacity, something that's beyond his ability to figure it out. He can't figure this thing out. It's something beyond his ability to fight. He can't fight it. He can't fix it. He can't change it. He can't heal it. He can't cure it. He can't remove it. He can't do war against it. He can't do the list that someone gives him. Hey, just do this. I can't do this. The burden that Paul is experiencing here is beyond his control and, and implied in being beyond his control is also it's beyond his endurance to endure. In other words, some of us, like myself, will say, oh, I'll just suck it up and I will endure it. It's my next tattoo, endure. And then I read this passage and I'm like, good night, am I going to have to change it? Because what's happening here is that whatever he's experiencing is beyond his ability to endure. It is utterly beyond him, beyond his ability to control. He is utterly powerless. Some of you know what this means. I know you do. Third thin thread that we need to grab. I despaired of life. Paul is experiencing profound psychological pain. This is deep mental, emotional depression. So much so that he felt the sentence of death. In other words, he's saying... I'm still alive, but my body hasn't figured it out yet. I feel inside I'm dead. It's just my body's still kicking. And the question is, or the response that we should have to this when we hear all of this, of course he is. Of course he is. Of course he is, Paul. Paul's depression is, is completely rational here. I mean, when you have this excessive, overwhelming, impossible burden, and then your response to it, the way you relate to it, is it's absolutely beyond your control. The most rational, the most human response in the world is depression. And some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to know that what you're going through is absolutely rational. It's absolutely human of course you are. It's so utterly impossible to bear. It's absolutely beyond your control and you cannot, you don't have the strength to endure it. So of course your emotional, mental breakage and suffering is real. And it should be. If it wasn't, you're not healthy. Wait, did you just say, you just said that my pain is actually healthy? That's exactly what I just said. That's exactly what Paul is saying. It's actually unhealthy if you don't. Where are the places we need to go? Well, we have to follow these three thin threads. Where are they going? Do you see it in the text? 
Take a guess. I got an article sent to me this week about a guy named Jason Kander. He's an Army veteran. He served um, four months of deployment in Afghanistan in 2006. He was an investigator that would hunt Taliban and hunt Al-Qaeda. He's a former Missouri Secretary of State. He's currently a mayor hopeful for Kansas City. He's favored to win. He's going to win. Uh, he has all the votes. I mean, everybody thinks it's a slam dunk. Except on Tuesday, he withdrew for the race. And I know what you're thinking, because I was thinking the same thing. Oh, here we go, another sex scandal, right? I mean, that's all we do. We love sex scandals. So let's go dig into his past. Maybe we'll dig in his grade school past. I don't know. We're digging in his past, right? Um, but do you know why he withdrew? Depression. His own words, this is what he said. Instead of dealing with these issues, I've always tried to find a way around them. Most recently, I thought if I could come home and work for the city I love so much, as its mayor, I could solve my problems. I thought if I focused exclusively on service to my neighbors in my hometown, that I could fill this hole inside of me. But it's getting worse. And so after 11 years, 11 years, after 11 years of trying to outrun depression and PTSD symptoms, I have finally concluded that my depression is faster than me. So I have to stop running. I have to turn around and face it. No one can outrun depression. Depression is always faster than you. Depression will always outrun you. And it will always outlast you. Depression is beyond your control. So where are these three thin threads taking us? They're taking us into verse 9. They're taking us to the end of self-reliance. Paul says, but that. But what? But the impossible burden that I've been bearing and the debilitating depression that I'm experiencing. So the impossible burden, the debilitating depression, but that. These things was to make me. Oh, here we go. So where are they taking you? What's going on in them? They were to make me rely not on myself. That's unbelievable, y'all, that the place that his depression and his debilitation, that the places that he was going that were new was this new place where self-reliance actually lessens in your life. And it's a phenomenal place. It's the most hopeful place on the planet. It's the most life-giving place on the planet. It's the most freeing place on the planet. Did you know that you and I, we were made, when God made us, we were made as outward-looking people. But what self-reliance does is it turns it right on its head, and we become inward-looking people. We are actually doing the opposite of what we were designed. We become completely self-absorbed. We become completely self-centered, and that's the essence of what the Bible describes as sin. And he is saying, please hear what he's saying, regardless of the numerous multitude of contributions and reasons for why I'm experiencing this psychological pain, 
And we could list them. We've looked at some of them. It could be biological. It could be our brain. It can be our body. Regardless of that, it could be our circumstances. Painful people in your life. Painful defeats. If I was to say which one would get me the most and which one has gotten me the most, defeat. Defeat. If I get defeated, oh man. Painful life events. And then the one that I've been putting off forever, spiritual, spiritual realities. We're going to look at that next week. I want to get it over with, and then we'll get to the happy stuff at the beginning of God of all comfort, right, again. But what happens in spiritual depression is there's this deep sense of accusation, unavoidable accusation, unavoidable condemnation, and in a remedial shame that just will not go away, a self-diminishment so that there's just nothing left, and then there's the absence of God. Yeah, it's yuck. Oh, gosh. But regardless what Paul is saying, regardless of the multitude of contributors to your depression, regardless of the multiple reasons and how they can all conspire against you, there is absolutely, regardless the multitude of them, there's one thing God is up to that you can know about. He might be up to millions of things, but he wants you to know about one of them. One of the things he's up to is he wants to teach you and me not to rely on ourselves. So is that why I had depression? No, we're not saying that. There can be a multitude of contributors, a multitude of reasons, but this you can know. God is always up to at least one thing that he wants you to know about. I'm going to teach you to not rely on yourself. happiest place on the planet. And I want to take you there. And some of you are thinking, but Jeff, I don't struggle with self-reliance. I'm going to be try, I'm going to try, try. I'm going to try to be as nice to you as possible. And so here's my niceness. If the Apostle Paul struggles with self-reliance, then you struggle with self-reliance. This is present tense. This is the greatest man other than Jesus who ever lived. This is the holiest man who ever walked this planet, and he struggles with self-reliance. Okay. Others of you are thinking that self-reliance, Jeff, is not my ultimate struggle in depression. Self-hatred is. When I'm in depression, I feel such a deep dread of inferiority, I can't even function. There is this persistent, unrelenting, debilitating self-diminishment and shame. I can't get out of bed. There are these voices of accusation and condemnation and criticalness and evaluation and being on trial all the moments and days of my existence. It's paralyzing. Self-reliance is not my greatest struggle, Jeff. Self-hatred is. 
I know. So please, please hear me. All of those painful thoughts and feelings that we just described are the realities of self-reliance. And now you feel worse, right? Okay, well, how do I get rid of my self-reliance? Well, just please hear me. When self-reliance is not working, this is what happens. When self-reliance doesn't work, these are the kind of thoughts that happen. When self-reliance doesn't work, these are the kind of feelings that happen. Now, when self-reliance is working, you don't feel that way. When you get the girl that you wanted, you feel good. If you grow kids God's way, and your kids grow up to all be presidents of the United States, because now we've got six presidents, you feel good. You have thoughts. You have feelings. You have realities that are that are proportionate to your self-reliance. If you rely on your strengths and abilities, let's say you do incredibly well at work, you're incredibly gifted, you're incredibly talented, which is everyone in this room, and you achieve and you, you do well, your self-reliance is working. When you've got money in your bank account and you don't have to worry about the bills you have to pay, self-reliance is working. But then one of those take a blow. What if you think of yourself as an incredibly... What if, what if you think of yourself deep down in your soul that you're a good person and you, you come to the shocking realization that you're not? You come to realize you really don't love God like you thought you did. You really don't love people like you thought you did. You've actually... Dis- demonstrated a cowardice you never thought you could and you've been cruel in ways you never dreamed possible. Now, what do you do? Well, now self-reliance doesn't work. When we fail self-reliance, what it does is it punishes us. When you fail self-reliance, it judges you. When you fail self-reliance, it criticizes you. When you fail self-reliance, it accuses you, it condemns you, it will not love you, it does not forgive you, it will not accept you, it will tear you down piece by incremental piece, because that's what self-reliance does. Others of you are thinking, but Jeff, what I need most and what I need most is for my depression to go away, not my (laughs) self-reliance. I can't even think about self-reliance, Jeff. I need my depression to go away. I need the painful circumstances to go away in my life. I need the painful people, the painful defeats to go away. I need the painful life events. I need my painful biology to get fixed. I need my painful spiritual depression to go away. And my response, I think, from this text is this. Yeah, that's certainly understandable, and perhaps God will do that, because he does do that. He does. He does do that at times. He does give a medicine that fixes your painful biology, and boop, it's done. You're done. Oh, man, it was completely my hormones. It was completely, and that stuff you need to get checked. You bet. He does do that. And perhaps he removes the painful person in your life, the jerks. I wish God would do that a lot more than he does. (laughs) I, I would like to help him sometimes. 
yeah, we better move off from that. And then, though, y'all, there are seasons, though, there are seasons that regardless of the multitude of contributors and reasons for what's happened to you, there are seasons when he wants to teach you not to rely on yourself. And so he just might leave it for a while. And you're like, oh, that, that's not good news at all. I, I agree. It's not good news. Unless, unless self-reliance is worse than depression. Where are those places we need to go? The first place, according to this text, is to the end of self-reliance. And don't miss this, though. Right on the heels of it, it's the beginning of something else. It's the beginning of a mini-resurrection. Do you see that? Look at verse 9. But that, all that we just talked about, the, the overpowering burdens and the depression that happened, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you see the transfer of trust here? It's absolutely astounding. He's going from a self-reliance to a God-reliance. It's a powerful transfer of trust that one of the things that God is definitely doing, one of the places he's definitely taking you to is to make that transfer of trust real in your life where you actually trust yourself less and start trusting him actually more. But I want you to notice what's more fascinating even about the transfer of trust is the tense that it's in. What's the tense? We start relying on God, but we rely on God who what? Raises the dead. This is not past tense. This is present tense. This is, this is, this is mind-boggling. This is blowing away. In other words, in the present tense, this is who God is. What is he? He's the God who raises the dead now. What? Wait, what kind of God is he? He's the God who raises, present tense, the dead now. In other words... We are called to expect him to do this. We are called right now to expect that you can rely on a God who raises the dead multitudes and multitudes of times. In other words, rely on, rest in, rejoice in many, many resurrections. God wants to teach you. One of the places he wants to take you is that we rely less on ourselves, and we start relying and expecting and looking for many, many resurrections from the dead. In depression, do you feel dead? Oh, you bet. Expect many, many resurrections including in your depression. So why should you expect this, though? I mean, think about this. Why would you live this way? Why do this? Okay, so is this positive thinking? Oh, God, help me expect many, many resurrections. Why live this way? Why, how can you expect this? Why should this be true? How can concrete comfort come to you and me? in our personal lives, in our homes, in our relationships, in church, in ministry, with our neighbors? How can we expect this? How can you expect to live this way? The answer is because of an epic, ultimate, cosmic, past 
resurrection from the dead. It's controversial, but you know, we don't avoid that here. Some of you wish we would. Uh, look at verse 10. And he delivered us from such a deadly peril. Now, you can tell that the, the translators here have determined what they think that means. But I want, you to, I want to ask you this. If it's just that they got delivered from whatever that burden was, if that's which did happen, but if that's all he means, then what he's saying is he delivered us from our, our, our impossible circumstance, and so he will deliver us again in this impossible circumstance. So if he delivered me in this past impossible circumstance or he fixed and healed this person, I should be able to expect that he will do that for me now. And many folks believe that. Many folks preach that. Many folks put their hope in that. But it's worse than that. What's going on here in verse 10, this is not what the original language says, deadly peril. This is going into the dungeons of death. This is going down to the Balrog. This is going down to the Netherlands where the dead walk. And there's only one who's gone there and made it out alive. And because he did, expect many, many resurrections from the dead. Spurgeon uh, routinely would return to a piece of art that he had. And you know what he would do? He would prop it up, and he'd just stare at it. What's this piece of work? Well, it's a piece of work of a, there's a, there's a story that was written around that time a little earlier, maybe a hundred years earlier, so not that earlier, uh, called Pilgrim's Progress, and it was about a Christian's pilgrimage to salvation, to ultimately glory. Um, and in this particular picture, this artwork, there's the character, the main character is a guy named Christian, and he is in a panic attack, what we would call a panic attack today. He is in Sheer, unadulterated panic because he is being swallowed up by the deep. The flood is, is going over him. The great chaotic deep is sucking him down to the endless, bottomless bottom. But there's also a friend of his that's in the picture, and it's a guy named Hope. And what Hope is doing is that he's got his arm around Christian and he is pulling him up and grabbing his hands and thrusting them up and he's shouting, Fear not! Brother, I can feel the bottom. So Jesus one who's come from the dungeons of death and came bursting from the grave grabs you in your bottomless bottom and says, fear not. 